Are you repeating the same relationship patterns? Find yourself with the same kind of person over and over again? Are you feeling attacked by this ad? Therapy can help you figure out why. Visit betterhelp.com slash hacks and break the cycle. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Hello, hackaroos. Well, this is a moment in history. So we put the magic lantern on high and summoned all three hacks to be here to talk about, well, what's going on and what might be coming. So the one and only, the Ayatollahs of political spinolas, uh, the great <laughs> Robert Gibbs and David Z. Axelrod here today. All right, hey, brother, everybody. Good to, you. good to see you guys. Yeah. We're together and uh, Joe Biden is headed to your native state, Mike Murphy, to sell his, uh, maybe belatedly so, but to sell his Build Back Better plan as he tries to jam it through Congress there. So it does feel a little late, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Gibbs. Well, I was going to say, Axe, what, uh, expand, expand a little bit on your, or expound a little bit on uh, your use of the word belatedly, which didn't, I assume, pop in there accidentally. Here's the deal. The, as he would say. I was going to uh, say, here we go. We're lifting from him already. And that's no joke. Literally. The, uh, I literally mean this. You know, if you let a program like this sit out there, a big omnibus plan, and it maybe gives you and I have talked about this before, and all you're talking about is whether it's going to be $3.5 trillion or $1.5 trillion, and no one knows what's actually in the plan or how it might impact on them, uh, you're, you got a problem. And uh, so, you know, I have every uh, reason to believe that they wanted to be out there for months selling the virtues of this plan, but things like Afghanistan intervened and uh, they, they weren't able to do it. Uh, and I think better late than never. But, you know, it, this is a case where the parts are greater than the sum. And uh, so I think he's going to go out there and try and tell people kind of what's, what's, what's at stake and what's in the plan. Well, and we saw this too, David, in, in 2009 and 2010. Even when you spend some time out there talking about things like health care, um, the debate takes on a life of its own. Congress takes on a life of its own. And in reality, even when the president was signing health care in 2010, more people knew about the political arguments and the back and forth than they did what was in the bill. So I, I agree with you. This is also going to be much more central to their midterm uh, election strategy than healthcare was to us in 2010. And because this is about building the economy back. And I think that, uh, I, I, I agree with you that I'm, I'm surprised there wasn't a little bit more on this. And I, and I genuinely hope before I let you in here, Murphy, genuinely yeah, don't, hope, don't interrupt him. He's agreeing with me. Yeah. <laughs> Stay with us listeners. It'll get better here. <laughs> no, I genu genuinely hope that it's not just Joe Biden out there making this case. It, that 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 a few members of Congress or a lot of members of Congress stop going on cable TV and arguing about the number that you talked about, Axelrod, and start talking about the what and the why, because that to me is much more important. 
Yes, I'm sure they'll resist the temptation of going on cable TV. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, Murphy. Well, one thing, they to... all hate that, pontificating on television. Not that there's anything wrong with it. As all no, some people admit. make a living doing that. Yeah, I've heard that. So I agree with what you guys are saying. One, it is late. And two, it's a good thing to do. But it's also part of the, you know, the ritual of these things, which is the president is sitting there growling at his oatmeal in the morning and the staff guys come in and say, Mr. President, if you haven't noticed, the wallpaper's on fire. And you know what? We're tired of these clowns in Congress. We got to take it to the people and drive our own message. And we want a campaign. So let's go into campaign style. And go out and try to reclick the thing outside the Beltway insanity and sell the content, which is this isn't $3.5 trillion of insane budget busting spending, my friends. No, it is, you know, uh, yeah. free it's, snow tires here yeah, in Michigan, it, blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. So it, it's politics 101. It is the right thing to do. And it is late. And I think that one of the problems now, and as usual, I'll bring everything back to my universal fear theory about it. It's, it's also Trump's fault. In the ruleless politics we have now, you can't do the dance of legislation in private very much anymore. Everything plays out real time on partisan television. So what they're going to try to do is, I'm with you guys, you should have done it earlier, go out and reclock it to the, the candy list in this thing rather than a big Washington food fight where, frankly, it looks like shocker. The guy who ran on being able to govern is having trouble governing. They got to change that. And this is an attempt to do it. Yeah, and the the problem with the candy list is that it is long, and so you have to choose those things off the menu that you think are going to be most resonant. So you know, uh, help on healthcare premiums and pre- prescription costs, and uh, you know, childcare and elder care, and 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 the uh, president's going to talk today about tax fairness, which is what's going to fund a big part of this, which is. You know, the, the, as he said throughout the campaign in a message, by the way, that one, that the wealthy are going to pay more in taxes. Corporations are going to start paying their fair share. Uh, and that funding is going to go to doing exactly what you said, more college opportunity, more investment in clean energy. Uh, lower health care costs. I see Murphy over there. Uh, yeah, well, right uh, now, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm imagining Lenin and Trotsky. Mur- Murphy doesn't want corporations to pay their fair share. Well, you no, you can see it, you can see it in his face. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see his face, but I can. <laughs> Lenin and Trotsky, not the modern versions I'm dealing with here, but the originals are both smiling in their grave now because Vladimir, the seize means the production thing was stinker. If only we thought of tax fairness. Oh, genius. So what is fair? What's fair? Fair is a very arbitrary word. I wish uh, I had the kind of defenders that Jeff Bezos has uh, for tax his his to protect his hard hard won gains. Well, Amazon is a economically powerful force that employs a lot of people, does a lot of good. So I mean, look, I corporations can't vote, so of course we're going to tax them into oblivion, and we can all learn Chinese. But anyway, let's get back to the politics of it, because policy, we're going forever. Here's what I'm worried about, uh, Murphy, that we're somehow going to overtax Jeff Bezos, right? <laughs> I mean, that's like, give but me that, a That's not what the break. plan is really about. It's about overtaxing a lot of people. That's where the real money is. But anyway, don't we think, or do we not think, that how they handled this tax fight is going to be as important as how they frame the spending fight. The framing they've not done a good job on so far. They're debating trillions, not stuff. Or do we think that's a slam dunk? Yeah, I think the tax stuff is actually, I, I think that they're on it's on solid ground on the tax stuff. Maybe not on the, maybe not on the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal, but I think in most, with most voters, they're on a pretty solid ground with that. I think the bigger issue is 
Um, it's it's it is so big, and these omnibus plans just become one big blob in people's minds, and it's become kind of just a uh, sort of the backdrop for another Washington food fight. This food fight happens to be between Democrats, uh, but I'll tell you one thing though. Uh, Pelosi, uh, Speaker Pelosi, who, you know, I've said many times, I think is is a, is brilliant and will go down into history as a historic uh, figure, not just because she was the first woman, but because she's probably the best legislative leader we have seen since Johnson. Uh, but uh, she sent out a but me- messaging isn't necessarily her strength. And she sent out a letter to her members saying we have to go out and tell people how transformative this this uh, bill will be. And I don't think transformative is is what you want to sell here. I think people get nervous when you use words like transformative. And it's like, I don't want to be transformed. I just want to pay my bills. Right. Especially when you combine transformative and the architect of our transformative plan that's going to change your life, Bernie Sanders. And they, my God, he can't get a hairbrush figured out. He's going to change my life. What could happen? Bad, bad, bad. The the, the other problem wait here. Wait a minute. Just wait a minute. Are you? Are, did you just attack Bernie Sanders' hair? Because yeah, uh, let, let we're looking right at you, Murphy. <laughs> we're looking right at you. The audience can't see Murphy, but it appears as if you went to the same barber. I'm just going to yes. say. Well, well. First of all, well, yes. you guys are luxuriating on the East Coast, planning to destroy. Who used to work on the professor on Back to the Future. Destroy <laughs> capitalism. Yeah, where's the DeLorean? It's early <laughs> back here in in the West Coast, and uh, I did tumble out of bed to suffer through uh, world socialism here. So I admit that I look a little bit like Bernie now. So it's, I'm clearly qualified to be in charge of the economy. <laughs> But back to the thing, I think one part of this Democratic tussle, well, there are two things. One, poor Pelosi. Okay, I'll say it. There she is. She's been an effective speaker. She's doing the speaker thing of forcing high noon. She's got the president there on the grounds in, in the, you know, in the building to try to bring them together to pass infrastructure first, which I know their demands and all that. But in the bigger picture would have been great for Biden. And she looks over her shoulder in the clutch, and there's Biden putting on the mile cap and joining the revolution. So if I were Pelosi, I'd be a little, little, little cranky with the White House right now. They didn't, they didn't help her a lot to get where we are. But the, the second point is the Republicans are going to have a field day using the moderates as surrogates against the Democratic plan. Because I think the moderates are going to pull their own Freedom Caucus move next in the House not only mansion and cinema, and say this thing is too big, 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 our turn. And so that's just ammo to the R's. But the moderates, unlike the progs, uh, progressives, you know, they're in districts they could lose. These progressives yeah. are all, they've got a seat for life. They could they could literally right. go into a coma and get reelected. So anyway, I, I don't really have a way out of it other than to tell Biden to do this reset on the messaging to try to move the needle that way. Let, let me say a, a few things. One is Pelosi also has a right to be pissed at Chuck Schumer because he signed a, le- a letter with Joe Manchin in which Manchin spelled out what his bottom lines were. Schumer signed it. Apparently, she didn't know about it, uh, which would have been a useful data point for her as she planned her own uh, strategy. Um, so, you know, but I, I have to say, I, I do not fault, uh, I agree with you about Republicans using the moderates, uh, against, uh, the progressives, uh, although how this ends is going to be important. Uh, but I don't fault the progressives, uh, for doing what they're doing. I actually think they've been more temperate in their language, uh, than the moderates. And the reason is 
the moderates see some value in flaying the progressives for their base. In other words, you know, uh, Josh Gottheimer, who put out a really intemperate statement on Friday night, you know, uh, flaying the far left, that plays in his district in New Jersey, which is a swing district. The the Sphinx of Scottsdale, though, I think she lives in Phoenix. Uh, I don't know where she lives. Uh, Senator Sinema, uh, you know, she thinks this plays with Republicans and independents in her state. Uh, I mean, she's the one who I think is, uh, well, we'll get to her in a second. But all progressives are doing is 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 they're applying leverage in the way that they see they have seen Manchin apply leverage. They've done the math. They understand they've got power. And what they're saying is we want we have to have this reconciliation bill, and we need to know there's going to be a reconciliation bill, and we need to know what's in it. Uh, Jayapal, the leader of the progressives, came out of the meeting on Friday, and she said, "Yeah, uh, president said it. We know we're going to have to shrink this thing down. We just want to know what's in it. That's pretty reasonable. The thing is, you've got people like Cinema who won't say what's going to be in it or what she wants to be in it. That's a big problem. But she says it's too big. I mean, that gets will the progressives now that they've tasted blood accept one point eight, one point nine trillion? Yeah, I do. I." Depending on what's in it, you think so? But Biden, the, the 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 good thing that Biden did, and this this was this is different than you normally bring a president to rally the troops right before the final vote and seal the deal. This started the deal, right? And and he gave a little tough love to each side, and he said to moderates, "We're not voting on one bill; we're voting on both bills." And he said to the progressives, "It's not going to be three and a half. This is going to be closer to two. And I, you know, I, look, I I think logic is. Logic is not very high right now. Trust is very low. Uh, everybody is is searching for and trying to gain leverage. I, I just hope that in the the next few days, in the next few weeks, as we get closer to some end to this, is that both the progressives and the moderates, all the leaders understand that this is either something or nothing time. They're either going to get about two trillion dollars, or they're going to get nothing. Well, plus the infrastructure bill, Robert. Well, th- th- right. I'm, that's what I mean. They're going to get no two trillion and no one trillion. That's that's not three. That's zero. And let me tell you this: I there isn't a progressive that's going to tell me, you know what? Let's wait six years and get a better deal to start working on climate change. And there's not a moderate that's going to tell me that, you know what? I, I know I, I really just wanted one. I didn't want the other stuff. I wish we could have just done roads. We didn't want this other stuff. None of that's going to work. There's no set of press releases yeah. for Josh Gottheimer or the Progressive Caucus that's going to fix the yeah. base wondering what in the hell is going on. So yeah, it's listen, time. Listen, if from- they don't pass something, if they don't pass these bills, and yes, it's going to be smaller, and it will, it will be, it, there'll be a lot in it, even if it is smaller, and they ought to celebrate what's in it and not complain about what's not uh, in it. But if they pass nothing, uh, they will lose. And they will deserve to lose, okay? It's just that simple. If they don't do anything, if they engage in mutually assured destruction, they will deserve to lose. I think they all know this. I think there is going to be a resolution to this. I mean, the good thing for Biden is there's all this suspense and it looks like a car wreck and all that stuff. Gibbs and I were through this, Murphy, with the Affordable Care Act. 
died a thousand deaths multiple before be, before it became law <laughs> and then it, it paid off in the midterms but anyway keep going <laughs> I, I take your point something has to no happen. no i mean listen if we had not passed the affordable care act yeah it would have been worse crushed and we would have been crushed yeah. in the midterm so you know I, but I, I i just think the biden presidency is uh barring some unforeseen event is is dead if they don't pass these bills, and they will die with him. Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. You know, listeners, I'll confess that sometimes I have trouble sleeping, and you would too if you had to work with these two jamokes. Guys, how do you put somebody to sleep? What do you need to fix? Well, you know, science tells us, Murphy, that the best way to achieve and maintain consistent deep sleep is by lowering core body temperature. Temperature-controlled ah. sleep, yeah, restores testosterone levels. There you go, Gibbs. Repairs muscle after a hard day's work and improves cognitive function. There you go, Murphy. So you always start what? your day feeling sharp and alert. Well, does somebody make a customizable climate-controlled sleep solution that could help me? Murphy, I'm glad you asked. Chili Sleep makes oh. customizable climate-controlled sleep solutions that help you improve your entire well-being. Hmm. Chili Sleep makes the Uller and the Cube Sleep Systems, hydropowered, temperature-controlled mattress toppers that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep temperature. So I don't need to buy a new mattress? How nope. does this thing work? These luxury mattress pads keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep sleep, whether you sleep hot or cold, and I don't want to know. Oh, These hot, sleep sizzling. Oh, God. <laughs> These sleep systems are designed to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And no one needs confidence more than Mike Murphy. That sounds great, but sometimes I'm looking for an extra level of comfort. What do I do? Murphy, for an extra layer of comfort, they also make the chili blanket, the only mm. weighted blanket that can also be paired with a control unit for the ultimate sweat-free sleep. How do I get this? Head over to chilisleep.com slash hacks to learn more and save 20% off the purchase of any new sleep system. This offer is available exclusively, exclusively for Hacks on Tap listeners and only for a limited time. That's chili, C-H-I-L-I, sleep.com slash hacks to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up refreshed every day. I'm going to check it out. So to that point, Axon, and I want to bring, because you said this too, Murphy, this notion of sort of the, the president kind of off to the side around his own political agenda. And this always frustrated me when I was in the White House. David, it may have frustrated some of you, is th this isn't the House agenda. This is the president's agenda. And you see the president now out on the road. H how much more does he need to or should he get involved with? He's had separate meetings, but getting two or three or five people in the room representing all sides and just hash this out. I, I, I feel like I feel like that's happened at a staff level, but not at his level. Let me just interject one point on the last discussion, then that's a good transition to, you know. Don't transition because I have role. one more point on this. Okay, so. We'll the, never transition, Murphy. <laughs> I, I agree that they. Hour two. They, uh, 
they either hang separately or they all hang together. And I think the rope makers are busy and the midterms look tough in the house to begin. So they got all these problems. The only way out for them is to pass something. And by the way, something smaller is better for them politically than something that'll be defined as the AOC Bernie love list. The thing that does strike me, though, is they could have hit so many bigger home runs here rather than being in a salvage survival situation. The only reason they couldn't pass infrastructure was the progressives don't trust their own party to pass at least their vision of Biden's agenda. That is pretty amazing. You know, since when did the the most powerful wing in the House decide they got a lot of bad actors in the Senate and the White House who can't deliver a handshake deal they should have been able to make? That's not a small thing. And that has robbed them of the wins they could have had that that they're negotiating here, each holding a Glock under the table, pointing at each other, even though they're all in the same um, outfit. So, yeah, I, I, I admit the only way out is to do something. But making it this messy and filling it with so much mistrust has been a big political defeat. And it cuts down the Biden narrative of Mr. Return to normal. He knows how to run things. Everything will be fine. And now we have crazy Democratic, you know, civil war after Kabul. If only they could emulate the comedy of the Republican caucus. (laughs) No, no, the Republicans for all their, I agree. (laughs) But they march in a straight line, more or less. You know, even even doing their worst. They're at least organized. They will march in a straight line over a cliff. But here's okay. the here's yeah, the thing seeing. that I here's the thing that um, I wanted to say about uh, you, uh, Robert your point on Biden. Biden has to not be a senator at this point. You know, so much has been said about he's a senator. He knows how to deal with legislators and so on. He's a president of the United States now. At some point, the president of the United States has to say, "Listen, gang, I've listened to all of you. Uh, this is what we can do." Uh, I, I'm I'm going to go up or down with this thing. You're going to go up or down with this thing. But we're done. We got to go. This is it. Deal's on the table. Take it or leave it. And, you know, we'll, I'll, I'll live with the consequences. But they need also to know that they'll live with the consequences because if you tell a president, I'm going to take your presidency down, he's got, you know, you got three years not to get your calls answered, you know. Uh, and I'm not sure that they want that. He he's got to bring the hammer down at some point, you know. And so yeah, last know. week. But yes, I totally agree. I think everybody, to your point, David, will get in line, right? I, I, and I know there's been a lot of mystery around Senator Cinema, but you know she's on the ballot in 2024 with Joe Biden, and and if she can't get to Joe Manchin's level of $1.5 to $2 trillion with tax increases on the wealthy and corporations, I got news for her. She's not going to be the Democratic nominee on the ballot in 2024. She doesn't believe that. Well, I, I don't. Well, <laughs> I, I don't see. I, I don't see how that's going to be possible. I really don't. I don't because it, unless you've got a lot of Republicans that are going to be voting in the Arizona Democratic primary in 2024. You can't bring down an entire presidency and think you're going to be the nominee. I don't have the requisite training or degrees to speculate on what goes on in Senator Cinema's head. I really don't know. I don't know whether she's judging this the way. Well, I'm not trying to get in her head. I'm just trying to. Yeah, I understand. But you have to to understand some of the things that she does. I consider it wisdom, statesmanship. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Spinks yeah. of Scottsdale, is that yours? Do you come up with that? Yeah. 
I yeah. like it. I like it. It's sharp. Now, if a Republican said that, the woke police would get on him. But I like it. I'm going to start using it. He doesn't it. know where she lives. He just thought of something alliterative. I, I like it. Silent cinema. I like to alliter the, the landscape. Yes. The Yoda of Yuma. The <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let, let me defend her a little bit. I, I don't think it might be in the modern Democratic, but it's not a mortal sin to think, hey, maybe we keep this thing down to under two trillion, more like one point five. Uh, now, I agree she hasn't gone into her accounting report on what to spend the money on. But I haven't heard even, I haven't heard her say what number she was. Well, she says she has a letter, the secret letter, much like Nixon's plan to end the war in Vietnam. Yes. That that Biden has. It's a lot like the Manchin letter at one point five trillion. And what's holding these two up? The argument they're not making, at least she isn't making publicly because she is a little weird about never wanting to do a lot of talking or explaining to the media. Is or her constituents. The, the the taxes that you can politically kind of find tend to cap out around 1.6. So she's trying to, quote, have pay-fors, to use the mansion phrase. So anyway, but, so I give to, her a little bit of a break there. Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. You know, Gibbsy, growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. I remember that Captain Crunch. But as I got older, I had to give it up because I know it was full of sugar and junk that, well, you shouldn't really eat. We're all trying to eat better, even us, even political hacks. But healthy breakfast doesn't have to be a boring breakfast. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love without all that bad stuff. And it's amazing as a midnight snack, too. Yeah, Murphy, like you, I've been trying to cut down on how many carbs I eat, how much sugar, all that kind of unhealthy food. And I realized I basically can't eat <laughs> anything anymore i've been Tell drinking about it. protein shakes for breakfast but you know the great thing with magic spoon is you can find a delicious way to get your protein before and after workouts and you can rekindle that childhood love affair with cereal murphy i remember walking the grocery aisle with my brother strategizing on what we were going to get you know with magic spoon you've got zero grams of sugar 13 to 14 grams of protein and only four net grams of carbs in each serving that's only 140 calories it's keto friendly gluten-free grain-free soy-free and low carb what I love about it is you have control over flavors, so you can just gorge on your favorite one. You get to build your own box. You put together the flavors you want in your own custom bundle. What are those flavors? Cocoa, fruity, frosted peanut butter, blueberry cinnamon, cookies and cream, and my favorite, maple waffle. Man, mix me up a box of that cocoa and peanut butter, and I am ready to go. And look, Magic Spoon just recently brought back two super popular flavors, as Mike mentioned, cookies and cream, and his favorite, maple waffle, permanently. When these flavors were first introduced for a limited time, they sold out very quickly. So go to magicspoon.com slash hacks, dear listener, and grab that custom bundle of cereal and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code HACKS at checkout to save $5 off your order. That's another pile of cinnamon. So put our little coupon to work there. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, Robert, it's back with a 100% happiness guarantee. What does that mean? It means if you don't like your cereal for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's right, Murphy, the cereal you love with a 100% happiness guarantee. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com slash hacks and use the code hacks, H-A-C-K-S, to save $5 off. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode.
to your point, David, of not being a senator, if everybody at least knows inside the room what the parameters are, even if they don't understand it publicly. Again, I, I just think this thing, you know, to everybody's point is it's time to land the plane. Yeah. Well, it's time to agree on a number. And then exactly. how are you going to spend land it? Land the 1.8. There you go. A number and what's in the number. I mean, the, the progressives will say, we just want to know what is subsumed under that 1.8, 2.2. Right. Because there's some hard decisions, to your point, David, that are going to have to be made to stuff a three and a half trillion dollars, three and a half trillion dollars worth of wants into 1.5 to $2 trillion. But again, I just think land the plane. Here's my bet on that. And then we, and then we can transition. My bet on that is uh, they'll do the Washington thing. And instead of eliminating a lot of elements of this plan, they will make them shorter term. Uh, You know, they will fiddle with the fine print and it will pencil out to a much lower number that is what they're going to do, and it's it's sad because they should pick a winner and commit to it and make this a clean battle. Instead, they're going to take the laundry list and cut everything in half so it'll, you know, and as you say, punt with all the tricks. So speaking of tricks, segue. <laughs> there we go. I'm, wait a minute. I got whiplash. We're lurching over <laughs> to a new one. Yeah. Speaking of tricks. I'm not really sure where he's going in this segue, but. Will Mitch McConnell really play this out as he says he will. I mean, he tends to do what he says he's going to do. Uh, is he going to resist the uh, re- the uh, importunings of, of, of uh, Schumer and others to allow Democrats to uh, to suspend the debt ceiling? Is he, is he going to filibuster the debt ceiling uh, to the point where we actually come to the brink? Yes. Let's ask uh, Supreme Court Justice Merrick Garland. I'm not for it because I don't like dead ceiling politics when either party does it because it's too damn risky. You know, it's like risking a billion dollars to make a hundred bucks. It's just the, the equation is no good. But look at it like game theory. The Democrats have enough votes to do it alone through reconciliation. And if we refuse to do it, that'll be the outcome because the Democrats don't want the economy to crack up. Now, there's a lot of risk in that because Democrats are crazy. It's hard to do. There's a lot of maneuvering, only 14 days. But fundamentally, that's where he's at. And I think he's going to stick there. I would encourage him, as I did in the latest Hacks on Tap newsletter, not to play this game because it changes the subject away from the Democratic train wreck. You know, why? For very little upside, you give him another issue to bash you with. But uh, yes, if I had to bet, He's going to hold his breath, and the Democrats are going to do it with reconciliation, and that's how the debt ceiling will be lifted. I totally agree with you, Murphy. I just want to quibble, though, with one thing. The simple and easiest thing to do to raise the debt limit is not to go through a two-week process and a bunch of late-night voteramas with a whole new reconciliation package, right? The easiest thing is to simply, if he believes that Democrats have to be in charge of raising the debt limit, then you ought to let Democrats bring up the debt limit without needing 60 votes. Just let the de- let right, the Democrats. Right, right. I, I get it. And then, yeah, party And, and that's vote. a simple thing. But I agree with you. I think he's going to insist on 60 votes. He's, he's saying, we don't have any responsibility yet. You have to find 10 of us, which, you know, is a silly game in and of itself. But, yeah, I mean, look, the, the one thing, depending on your view, you either loathe or admire about Mitch McConnell is he doesn't give a damn about what anybody thinks. He doesn't care about the New York Times. He doesn't care about the Wall Street Journal. He doesn't, he doesn't care about any of it. He's just trying to get what he needs to get done. He's playing a short-term game, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And so I don't think he's I, – I, he's not going to be 
shamed into doing something at the last minute. He's going to smile as the car goes right over the cliff, Thelma and Louise style. His strength and his weakness is blind spotter, the same thing, which is he is cold, tough logic. And I think sometimes he discounts the human emotion factor that in the cold, tough logic equation, hey, they've got the votes. They can do it with reconciliation. Make them do it. But people are going to be so mad, and who knows who's crazy, and cinema you know, gets on a rocket ship. There can be a human failure in this logic chain that could lead to a catastrophic outcome. That's the risk I don't think he quite recognizes. Because he's not about that. He's about politics, and he thinks he can score some points here. And I don't think anybody cares at the end. Because when, when the Repubs say, ha, we made them vote for, you know, billions in debt, the counter story is always going to be, yeah, but you voted for half that debt. It was a slimy Washington thing, and it's complicated. You know, you know, right. debt ceiling, that's like my wife wants a new kind of, you know, paint on the roof. I mean, it, 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 it's far too clever by half this whole thing, and it's coupled to bad systemic risk. I don't get the paint on the roof thing, but. It was a bad analogy. It wasn't, reconciliation was better. <laughs> That's where you go when your uncle throws out his back at the warehouse. He has to go into reconciliation. <laughs> Please just be careful painting the roof that, that your wife yeah, wants. No, no, just, no. It was a terrible analogy. In fact, let's say, <laughs> hey, come on, it's 7.20 in the morning here. I was drinking last night. All right, give me a break. You know, the problem with reconciliation is if, if, they, were, if they are going to include it in reconciliation, they've got to do it Yesterday. Quickly. Yeah, and they've got all these other... Barriers. I actually thought that McConnell handed them a cudgel when he refused to uh, suspend the debt ceiling, as he did three times during the Trump presidency, uh, because I thought it would give Pelosi and uh, the White House and Schumer the ability to say to their members, this is now a must pass bill and we got to get it done. I still think that may come into play. Uh, no, but- no, I, I think that's kind of what McConnell was thinking, which is, look, I, the fact of life is I won't move, so get on with it, because he doesn't want to default. Um, and so if I were the Dems, I'd say, well, clearly the Republicans are kindergartners, so we're going to save them from their crazy and just do it. Calm the markets down and uh, and switch the fight to other stuff. Yeah, more like kindergartners here. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. So- Yes. Come on, it's early in California. Don't get on my back about this. (laughs) Okay, then let's take a break right here, and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Well, you can get help, and you should. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours, so no screwing around. You can get right to it. And it's important to know BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log on to your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if you need to. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit their website and read through their testimonials from real people that are posted every day. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash hacks, that's Better H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are now recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So check it out. There's even a special offer for our Hacks on Tap listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash hacks. Donald Trump, remember him? Never heard yeah, of him. Yeah, yeah, funny hair, owes yes. people money. Yeah, tell me more. He's, he's headed to Iowa this weekend, to the Iowa Fairgrounds. Uh, I, I suspect not a, a site that was uh, arbitrarily picked. Uh, Great food, by the way. For a rally. Uh, and as he goes, uh, the... Uh, the Des Moines Register poll shows that he has a 53% approval rating uh, there, um, which is higher than he had, uh, you know, throughout his presidency. Um, so what does this tell us? Because I kind of see the train coming here, you guys. Oh, I think, yeah, we all do. The new train. I've got train pieces on my front lawn from Friday, but yes. You know, what's interesting is Biden's numbers, meanwhile, and it is now a red cool. state, you know, have dropped. So they're totally the opposite of, you know, what success would look like for Biden and failure would look like for Trump. So Iowa's the new Mar-a-Lago somehow. It, it's Trumplandia. And yeah, he, he smells a window opening now. He smells weakness. His fears of running and losing, I think, are shrinking. I thought those held him in checkmate before. But, you know, he lives in the moment, so he's reacting to all the trouble uh, the president is in politically. And, yeah, I think he's getting ready to put the band back together. Well, Murphy, to your point, and I think this was a, a poll that even surprised Washington, because, as you said, I was probably left the status of being any sort of swing state uh, right. in the last couple of elections. But, you know, Biden, in March, his approval rating in Iowa was 47 approved, 44 disapproved. It dropped in June to 43 approve, 52 disapprove. And then the real bottom dropped out. In that September poll the Des Moines Register did, he was at a 31% approval to a 62% disapproval in a state that he only lost 53-45. I say only. It wasn't a close state. But that 53 that you mentioned, Axe, is the number Trump got in, in, the, in the 2020 race there. But for Joe Biden to be at a 31% approval in a state where he got 45% of the vote is just, again, a microcosm uh, in that state of what had happened throughout the course of August with COVID and other challenges that the White House uh, faced. And, uh, and you know, I, I my sense is that's a lot of independent voters that, that, that didn't want to see Trump return to the White House that voted for Biden that have, have left, have left uh, his support. Yeah, well, that's what we've been seeing everywhere is independent voters uh, kind of uh, collapsing uh, on him. And uh, yeah, it's a, you know, look, rural America is not uh, is, is, is not kind to Democrats. Obviously, uh, Obama carried the state twice. Things have changed. 
Uh, we become a lot more tribalized, and uh, it, Iowa is unforgiving turf. Uh, Murphy and I fought many great battles on that turf. And I want a rematch now that it's an easy red state, by the way. <laughs> now that it's in the bag. We yeah. used to duke it out there when it was a damn swing state. I'll see you in Rhode Island, pal. Uh, <laughs> no, Utah. That's the new battlefield. <laughs> but, you know, things things have changed dramatically. But even if you even uh, factoring in for that, you know, there's a proportional uh, effect. You, you know, there, you look nationally and it it explains why Biden is underwater uh, underwater right now and why, you know, just to just to uh transition back for a second why he has to pass these bills and he has to pass these bills because right now there's a sense that things are out of control and uh that he is not in command and i think he the uh, the first order of business is to get that done but you know you there are people <laughs> I, I just here comes another segue the uh uh <laughs> the, there are a lot of democrats who are nervous in virginia right now and their nervousness is less about Terry McAuliffe. It, it's certainly about him winning, but they don't ascribe his problems to him so much as to uh, just the state of affairs nationally. And uh, they're worried about exurban voters uh, and those independent voters uh, flipping, you know, uh, because they, they, you know, uh, they don't like what they see nationally. And uh, some of them don't. They, they see uh, all of this talk, per Murphy's point earlier about uh, the uh, progressives running the show is making them nervous. Yeah. I mean, you know, remember Biden's formula in the primaries was old, safe, reliable, can beat Trump and center left. No single payer. I'm going to I'm not on Team Bernie, et cetera, et cetera. And that when he slipped on the mile cap on this fight, even though it's, quote, his agenda, it's been defined as the progressive left-left agenda, that, that is scaring away. There are a lot of, you know, college-educated indies who have kind of Republican hearts, but they don't like the creepy, et cetera, factor of the Republicans. But economically, they're not hard progressives. And he sent a scary signal to them and some of the Republicans he chipped off ideologically. So, yes, I totally agree. He's got to get something done, but it ought to be framed as one or two great domestic programs and let the price tag go down a little bit. That's a win. Well, I think the price tag, by definition, is going to go down uh, more than a little if he does have a win. So I think that will that will happen. But but he can lead that parade, not be dragged along kicking and screaming by it. Yeah. yeah but to your point, Axe, there is a lot of I mean, the atmospherics in Virginia, if you're the McAuliffe campaign, are not good. You know, you're fighting, you, you, you're looking, and again, remember a big chunk of that. When we talk about the fact that middle America isn't paying attention to this, it's because most of middle America isn't paying attention to this. The challenge, I think, for the McAuliffe campaign, you also have layered onto this, is the biggest part of voters are in that essentially Washington, D.C. media market. They're watching, they, they, they get a, a decent amount of this back and forth in the local yeah. newspaper, which is the Washington Post and others. You got Democrats fighting Democrats, and uh, four weeks before an election, and it is four weeks to, from today that that election is, is held. Four weeks from today, you don't want Democrats fighting Democrats. You want Democrats focused on getting out them and their friends. And as you said, there's a lot of just bad atmospherics in how independents are looking at all this. And you know, Terry ran 
a good race in 2013 and won narrowly. Much, much uh, was a much closer race than people predicted and that polls showed going into this. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's got to be a lot of nervousness because the one thing we know is that if if this race is either super close or the Republican wins, the narrative will be completely reset. Whether that's actually true or not, it will de- the the race will be off to redefine sort of what has happened, and that's that is more than scary if you're a Democrat in Washington or if you have a job in the White House. You know how I th- know that the McAuliffe guys are really scared, must have bad data, starting to freak out, is they're running a freak-out ad. They've got some new ad that uh, alleges that their Republican opponent, Young Kin, had run a dental company, did like unauthorized. It's kind of the, the men and guys. It's terrible. Well, the Washington Post, not, not normally a beacon of Republicanism, gave it four Pinocchios today. I mean, just clobbered them on it. Now, Generally, you don't run an ad like that. An ad like that's an emotional response to fear inside the campaign. You know, we got to hit them with the atomic bomb. It's almost always a mistake. And I think that's a big tell because they're, 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 they're going to get pounded back. I've been surprised at the McAuliffe race just watching the media and the press coverage. They've never really gotten a handle on Youngkin. You know, they, they haven't trumped him. It's weird. They've tried. They, they've tried. Yeah, they, yeah. they've just they've they've been unable to do that, and he's kind of in an unlucky position now. Because if you want to kind of send a disgruntled message, there he is. You know, he he's the uh, canary in the cage or in the coal mine right now. So you just throw a little coal dust at him. You send a message to the mining company, and I think voters may do that. I I still wouldn't call him the favor to lose, but it it is a race, no doubt about it. History has shown in the last several statewide races, they've not been close in, in Virginia. And I think uh, this one is certainly, no doubt this one will be closer. I still think he's favored to win a close race, but it, it's going to be very different than the 10 points that Joe Biden won Virginia with, um, you know, just last November. You think, uh, you guys, if the uh, Democrats in Congress get their shit together and actually pass these bills, Biden signs them, that will have an effect on the Virginia race if it happens. Now, they've set an October 31st deadline. It may not happen before his race. I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, does it matter whether it happens or not uh, to the outcome of that race? It would be helpful. It just needs time to build. It's not so much the passing. It's the talking about Biden back on track, message received, going forward, good for Virginia. So they really need it. And remember, you got mail-in ballots, so election day is, you know, long. It's not a day. It's weeks. So they really need it to sweet. If it happens the day before the election, it, uh, it uh, I think, net positive, but a tiny one. I love when you speak French, by the way. <laughs> yeah, well, we have that kind of elevated audience here. <laughs> I think, too, David, I mean, we used to see this in 2009 and 2010 in the White House. And when, when events were out of everyone's control, that's when – I remember the president's approval numbers and the atmospherics feeling bad. And I think that's, I think getting these bills done will calm that chaos down to the point Murphy's made that it'll let Biden be the calm governor, governing type president that he ran on uh, rather than sort of, you know, the, the head of the circus. Which is back to David's point earlier. He needs to pull a general patent here and show the country he's back in charge so he gets credit for eventually this, totally uh, this Democratic mob getting organized and doing something. 
you know, he's got to grab that position. Or again, he's not leading the parade. He's being, he's the town drunk being dragged behind it. You know, that's not where he wants to be. He's got to get out in front and be in control now. Just to kind of synthesize what you guys are saying, I've been thinking of this phrase and I want to roll it out right now. Nothing succeeds like success. Boy, that's pretty good. What do you think? I like it. it. Reminds me of something you said in the Oval Office, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna birth that for the for the. I would trademark now. that before Hallmark gets ahead of it. That's yeah. pretty good. A country will like that. I hope they're all uh, cognizant of that little nugget uh, in the next four weeks uh, on the Democratic side. It just sort of ru- just rolls off the tongue there, Axe. You're on to something. So I, I just want to say one word. We'll, maybe we'll say something more about it in the weeks to come. It, this isn't one that people are keeping their eye on, but interesting election up in Boston to succeed the Marty mayor's Walsh, race, yeah. A mayor's race up there. And the front runner is Michelle Wu, uh, the city councilor, had been president of the city council, uh, who's a very, very progressive kind of heady, um, you know, Elizabeth Warren type uh, candidate. Um, you know, the last, this would be a marked departure, and it does speak to sort of changes in Boston. Uh, the last two mayors, uh, Marty, Marty Walsh, Tom Menino, you know, very much working class yeah. uh, kind of guys, and um working class white irish yeah no it's the end of an era i'm watching the last hurrah here tear rolling down my eye because <laughs> it was the one last great irish political town and now we've got a fight between bolsheviks and menshleviks you know it's a total total revolution just like poor joe crowley going down to the gift to america aoc so uh but you're right it's gonna happen and the world is changing can I say uh, that is my one of my favorite movies, The Last Hurrah with oh, Spencer great. Tracy. Yeah, I highly recommend it to all you hackeroos out there if you're looking for an old political movie uh, to watch. About oh, it's the- fantastic. You know, I grew up in that stuff. My uh, grandfather was an elected uh, uh, judge in the old Irish Wayne County operation. So that, that I was a kid in that era, and it's all gone now. Leaving the ideological... Uh, part of it aside, I mean, you got two, the final two candidates are both women. You know, as you said, it's uh, when you think about, I mean, Tom Menino was there forever as the mayor of Boston. And uh, when you think about, I hate to use the the Kennedy thing, the passing of the torch, if you will, it's just a very, it shows you just how much we talk about all these places, you know, is this place a swing state? Is this place not? This is a base state, a red state. These things can change and they, it doesn't, in some cases they change quickly. In some cases it takes a long time, but I, I don't think that anybody would have thought just a few years ago, you know, that, that Boston would be in a position to elect somebody that, that is going to look and sound a, a lot different than what they're used to. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it speaks to the changing demographics of the town. Hey, we've got some very uh, inquiring Hackaroos <laughs> waiting to ask us questions. So, Jeff, maybe you should hit the music. It's listener mailbag. If you have a question for the hacks, or you sent us a question before and we didn't read it, didn't mean we didn't like it. We just have to cut these down. So, resend it. Resend it. We don't mind multiple attempts here. We're trying to get to you. All you got to do is email us at hacksontap at gmail dot com hacks on tap at gmail.com and don't forget to uh, get more gibbs and if you can stand it more murphy with the hacks on tap newsletter just go to hacks on tap dot dot com a lot of special stuff there and it's absolutely free you can subscribe you get it twice a week for free let me say again 
by email. And then finally, a point of personal privilege. During our earlier debate where we were going to go into this ridiculous budget-busting $3.5 trillion Democratic spending orgy, I was normally going to go to my old go-to. That's as much as we spent on, wait for it, guys, World War II. (laughs) That's right. But an alert hacks reader, a historian, John Krensky, sent us a note, I think through the newsletter, where he made the unfortunately true and persuasive point that during World War II, we, of course, had wage and price controls, which would artificially hold down the cost relative to reality. So the good Jesuits taught me to respect a good argument. So I got to say he's got a point. And my comparison is not really dollars to dollars. It's more apples to kiwi fruit. But $3.5 trillion is still a hell of a lot of money and closer to the cost of World War II than not. Yeah, but the, the thing is, this is a lesson actually in for all you aspiring politicians. What Mike Murphy just did was he turned a blatant distortion of fact <laughs> into a point of character for himself because he acknowledged his error, he embraced it, and he looks the bigger for it. Call Mike Murphy and tell him to stop flip-flopping on the cost of World War II. But I love the, the pitch on the newsletter because you know, you're know you more than happy to give away free stuff when it suits you. So, uh, <laughs> right. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> completely. And when we teach you how to work email, you're going to get the newsletter too and enjoy it. <laughs> All right, Robert Z. Gibbs, this is a question from Jacob. I, like many Democrats, Jacob writes, am very worried about the 2020 midterms. Uh, good move, Jacob. You're right. I don't think Republican turnout can possibly be as high in 2022 because Trump isn't on the ballot. Am I wrong? Wildly hopeful? Possibly right. Is there a lesson in 2018? I don't think Republican turnout will be as high as it was two years ago, but I also don't think Democratic turnout will be as high as two years ago for the very same reason. Trump not being on the ballot. When Trump was on the ballot, obviously, in 2020, that motivated a lot of people. They didn't hear anything but get Trump out. Look, I think the 2022 midterms are going to be determined by a few things. One we just talked about, which is the broader atmospherics uh, and the president's approval rating. And I think that's, quite frankly, going to be the the single most important thing in the midterms. The second one, and we'll talk about this in a few weeks, is what these congressional districts actually look like. They're redrawing the lines and redistricting. uh, And the impact of that is going to be pretty profound. Uh, A lot of districts... They may not flip, they may not change appreciably, but they may get shored up so that districts that were marginal, um, not swing, but marginal or tougher districts for Republicans are going to get shored up and the same in some Democratic states. Um, Look, I think history is not on Democrats' side, uh, and I think turnout, and quite frankly, is going to be determined in the next few months about what happens with this reconciliation bill. If Democrats stop fighting with Democrats and get excited about what happens and 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 decide to go out and get people excited about what they've passed, there's a chance to get people, Democratic voters, excited. But it will be um it'll be hard. The party out of power always uh is is the favorite in these situations. And when the atmospherics are tough and redistricting happens, uh it gets even harder. I'd say the House is grim, but the Senate ought to be the focus because there's hope for the Dems yes. there. And for the Republicans. Suburbs. I don't know whether this is relevant, but I like the joke. Uh, <laughs> you know the old joke about uh, the two guys hiking in the woods and they come on a bear 
the one guy freezes and the other guy uh, leans over and puts on it, it takes his hiking boots off and starts putting on his gym shoes and the one guy says to his friend what are you doing you can't outrun that bear and the guy says i don't have to outrun the bear i just have to outrun you <laughs> so republicans don't need the turnout that they got with trump they just need democratic turnout to be depressed relatively so you know we'll we'll see what happens a uh, murphy a fellow named michael asks, if I read the maps right, Kevin McCarthy's California 23rd District voted to retain Governor Newsom. In light of that campaign being pursued as a referendum on Trumpism, is it possible that while Kevin is counting his votes in the House for Speaker, he's losing his seat at home? Uh, No, Uh, I would say he's in a little more trouble in the Speaker election compared to the home election. That's a Republican seat. McCarthy is well ensconced there. He has a long history. He's a good pork barrel Paul for them, uh, just like his predecessor, Bill Thomas, was. So I, uh, you can't use the Newsom recall as a barometer for congressional elections. It was a special duck, uh, and uh, the, the delta there is, is not the same. So hope springs eternal uh, uh, for Democrats in that district, but I, I would say uh, that is unlikely to say the least. Hope springs eternal, but dope springs ahead, I think is the thing you're trying to say. So I've got to ask you, is Pun yes. Magazine closing their <laughs> annual issue? Because something's going on. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm just feeling it today. Yeah, you are. You are. It's gold. It's gold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Jamie at the Laugh Factory and get you 10 minutes at midnight on Monday. We're going to road test a little of this material. I feel like there's a checklist in front of Axe that he wrote down like eight or ten of these things. I'm telling you guys, like, this, is, this is I just have these inspirations that just come in waves. I mean, the I bear joke was it. like we answered the question twice, and then he tells the story to answer the question a third time. Like I said, he had to check that was number eight. Oh, no, he had, bear he had joke. to get to the gold. Yeah, yeah. Bear joke. I want eight. to tell the joke check. anyway. What do you got for me? All right. <laughs> Jeremy asks, many Democrats bemoan the shellacking they anticipate will come from redistricting this year, but there's not an insignificant number of states that have Democratic governors and Republican legislatures. Given that the governors can block gerrymandered maps, won't this have a powerful impact on both the U.S. House and all those state legislatures? Look, I think it's a varied picture state to state. They have different systems, but Here's the bottom line on redistricting. There was a thought at the beginning of the year, and I shared it, that because Republicans uh, had total control of a larger number of states, uh, that uh, and and because of the shift uh, to the Sun Belt of uh, of seats, uh, that uh, Republicans would start off with a significant edge. Uh, You know, I am less uh, certain of that now. And you look at people like our friend Dave Wasserman, who's kind of the authority on this over at Cook, the Cook Report. Uh, And, you know, his analysis now is much more modest for Republican gains. I don't think the Democratic problem in 2022 is going to be redistricting as much as we thought. It's just going to be the the tides of history. Only two two parties have, uh, there were only two years in which the party that had the White House gained seats in midterm since World War II. And there's no reason to believe that this year is going to break the uh, string. And Republicans don't need, they only need five seats to take over. So, you know, if you were betting, you'd bet on the Republicans right now to take over the House, as Robert said earlier. Yeah, they've got the tailwind. And right now the Democrats are helping. We'll see if they can get their act together, at least in the House. Again, the Senate is the, the midterm story that counts. 
Well, and one of the things I mentioned too, X, I think it's interesting. That I think they've decided not to press their big electoral gains in terms of trying to pick up seats in redistricting, but they sure have used some political capital to shore up people that they thought might have tougher elections. And what that will do is take resources that would have gone to saving somebody now in a better district, and they'll get to focus that on the fewer swing districts that we have. We should point out also that there are states like Illinois where uh, Illinois lost a seat, but that seat's going to be a Republican seat, not a Democratic right. seat. Right, right. That's a good point. Wasserman, who we ought to get on as a guest again soon. Let's do it. We're doing it. He made this point, too. Even in the states that are losing seats, there are Republicans like like Illinois in, in those states, and the states are becoming bluer. So even in the shrinking states, the Democrats don't have a generic advantage to create another seat, but in the internal redistricting, they have plenty of weapons to trim Republican seats down. On the Senate stuff, and, and really, really briefly, because we should go in depth at this at, on this at some point, I mean, the real key to those races is going to be um, in some of these states that Democrats have to win, uh, does Trump... Uh, taint the Republican primary process in such a way right. that you end up with a, a crazy Yahoo as the nominee, as we've seen Republicans do in the past. We've discussed this before. We'll go into greater depth later. But right now, fellas, I think it's time to say goodbye. That reminds me of a story. No, I'm just kidding. I yeah. just wanted to do that for us. So the guy, so the guy runs away from the bear. <laughs> yeah. All, all right. I think he's still running to get away from jokes. All right. Thank Whatever you. Whatever happened to appreciation of great humor? Okay. We you, have, what you, you are, know. you're inspired by the Mel Z. Lawrence tribute we put at the end of last week. We had a little Easter egg with the great comic who uh, passed away a few weeks ago from the Catskills. Mel Z. Lawrence doing a bit of his act. Uh, we hide things like that after the music once in a while, folks. So keep listening till the bitter end. <laughs> but uh, some combination of us will be back next week, and we are going to bring the magic trio here back for a post-election show after Virginia to uh, uh, pick through that. And meanwhile, we got a couple of great guests lined up to dig in. So we'll be back soon. Yeah, go brush your hair, Murphy. <laughs> no, I'm joining the revolution like Biden. This is my new look out there in nature. Make sure the the squirrels don't get your grape nuts. I'm, I'm going to go seize the means of production. It feels See good. You, All right, guys. Good to Bye. talk to you. Bye. Bye.